and welcome to Navigating Change, the education podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here as always with Howard Tybal. You sound like you're in a great place today. I feel like I'm in a great place. You've got such great energy right now. Damn, you know why? Because I'm a nerd. And today... Something is, good happened? Something, no, it's something, I'm just telling you, today's the day that, that I celebrate uh, nerdery. We've got, we're talking technology on the show today. <laughs> true. Are you kidding me? That's right. All right. Give it to us. <laughs> I love it. This is, uh, we're going to be talking about the CBO-CIO relationship, how it impacts our work and administration and <laughs> academics today, and uh, these, these, the fundamental changes ahead and how we impact our most important constituency, our students. First, learn more about us and our work in education. Head over to tybalink.com. You can subscribe to this very show for free. Just click on the blue button and jump on our mailing list, and we'll keep you updated as soon as we post new shows. Now, Gerald Hector is Vice President for Finance and Administration at Ithaca College. He serves as Chief Financial Officer with Administrative Oversight to the Offices of Auxiliary Services, Digital Instruction and Information Services, Facilities, and Business and Finance, as well as providing support and direction for all of the college's financial endeavors. Gerald, welcome to Navigating Change. And seriously, man, what is up with you having so much to do there? When you get to work in, this, in the morning, I have this image of you just jumping from desk to desk in an empty office and, and writing emails from like different chairs. Actually, as you were announcing all those positions or de- departments that report to me, I was wondering, who is he talking about? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all a blur. They're all meshed together. And that's typically go. my day. It's um, being a CBO today is in, in in the context of 2016, I love it. It's a challenge, but I, I really appreciate having the opportunity to be a CBO, especially in an industry where we're, I usually say to everyone that we're trying to ch- shape lives. So it gets me up every morning and gets me into work. So thank you for reminding me of all of the departments. I hope I didn't remind you of a bunch of stuff you need to do. Oh, absolutely. I got to figure <laughs> out what I, I got to go back and check my open points list after I get off the phone with you. He's working right now, Pete. He's, I mean, this is serious multitasking. So, right. so, here, right. so here's the deal, Pete. I had the pleasure of meeting Hector at Ikubo. And I had a chance to be in a facilitated session and heard him play a role of sharing with others the role of the CBO and and his mentorship role. And I was really struck by the language you use and your enthusiasm and your optimism, which shines through in this talk. And what really struck me too, Hector, and we will definitely share this with our audience, is the article you wrote uh, in Business Officer Magazine on that partnership between you and the Chief Information Officer. So what we decided today, and this is why Pete is so giddy, is that we're going to talk about um, that partnership because often historically we've talked about the, the CBO and the CIO. And I think what you raised in this article is the importance of really developing a way of you in your role as CBO, really understanding what the strategic direction is, but through the eyes of the CIO. So talk just for a minute about how you got yourself to that place, because I think initially you had to own that before your permanent CIO showed up. Isn't that true? Yeah, that's true. And actually, I learned a lot during both roles. It was challenging, some very sleepless nights, but when you're coming in as a new CBO, you definitely want to learn your organization. So what I was able to do there is to get down into the bowels of information technology and spend some time with the folks on the front line to figure out, okay, what are the wants? 
what are the needs of the institution, but then ask myself a fundamental question. If we invest over here, are, are these investments going to return something that will make our information technology more robust in terms of serving our faculty, our students, and in today's con context, also prospective students, uh, alumni, everyone has to be connected pretty much. So when I looked at it from that standpoint, I had to ask, I told myself, I said, wow, it looks like information technology takes on a bigger role than most folks are giving it in today's educational environment. And I wanted to study that. And when, as a matter of fact, when we went out to search for the permanent CIO that is now filled by Mr. Keith McIntosh, actually my experiences at the front lines helped me to figure out what kind of CIO I needed to exactly. come partner with me here at Ithaca College to get this uh, moving. Not everybody has that opportunity, right? I mean, no. in some ways, you, you were afforded a unique opportunity. It was double duty, right? Yep. At the same time, because you had to get in there and understand on some level some of the mechanics. What are we talking about here? It puts you in a position to more intelligently go back to the person who shows up in the role and ask questions we'll talk more about later, which is why are we going to do it that way or why is it important? And without exactly. that, you're missing something that I think, by the way, it struck me. This is why I think historically these ERP projects, Banner, PeopleSoft, Oracle, often end up being uh, mediocre successes or even failures initially because mm -hmm. the people who are leading it don't know enough of the right questions to ask of their people bringing the technology forward. That's correct. Right? And I think one, one of the things that I learned throughout this entire process is what is your baseline? Mm. What, are the, what is the baseline going to be on which you're going to build prospectively? And couldn't get to a solid baseline because everyone will say, well, your baseline needs to be your strong network infrastructure. Okay, that's true. One baseline could probably be, well, what are the programmatic capabilities to, to carry forward the mission of the institution? That could be another baseline. So melding all of that together, we came up with kind of a hierarchy of what we're looking for as we're trying to transform our information technology. Um, so in our minds, is getting the basics straight. Is that like going back to basics? We have all these bells and whistles that are out there right now, but you get all these bells and whistles. Sometimes they're incompatible. And you have one one group of folks going down one path, another group of folks going down another path. Oh, that is a perennial problem in higher oh, ed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so what we were able to do is to just take the time to look at it. And what I also did, Howard um, and Pete, was to simply go out and I asked four very seasoned chief information officers I love to come this. spend a day and a half on my campus. There you go. And what they did was uh, my good friend, uh, Ted Dodds, who was used to be at Cornell, and um, Keith Fulkerson down at Elon, and um, I'm forgetting my good friend's name up at uh, Syracuse, slips me right now. And I had one um, gentleman who is currently the superintendent of our schools in Ithaca, but used to be a CIO. So I had all four of them here on campus and they basically did me a favor by meeting with frontline staff and, and meeting with all the folks, interviews and so on. And wow, the report that I got back just kind of not only con in some ways confirmed for me what I had thought, and in some ways gave me a new direction in terms of how to look. You know, so, th that in itself, your willingness to reach out to people and bring them, you know, to look under the hood, 
right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, That's right. We, we often, we'll, you know, we'll have those conversations when we go to conferences, but yep. you, we don't nearly do that enough. And that takes on some level or degree of trust on your part yes. to be able to bring them in, uh, share what you're doing and where you're going. And I think we need to do more of that. Well, you know what? I mean, that's a that's a really good point. But also, it's something that I think other department heads and other institutional leaders can learn because nerds are great at sharing, <laughs> right? They love to share new systems and processes. It's something that they're bound to do anyway. They're just naturally good at it. They love yeah. to kind of show up. So this is something I think I look at this and I think, okay, of course, of course, it makes yeah. perfect sense that you would bring that kind of partnership to campus. And all you got to do is ask. As hard as it may be for other people, all you got to do yeah. is ask, right? Yeah, well, it takes right. a, a, some measure of courage, and also it takes a leader um, and the president that is comfortable as well. Yeah. Did but you, if did you run this by the president, say, listen, I oh, like yes, four yes. of them. Yeah. yeah and yeah, and we, what was the president's initial reaction? Was there any concern? No, there wasn't any concern uh, because I was fairly new coming in. I'm a new new vice president coming in, and obviously I'm doing my assessments. I'm trying to learn the organization. So there was some measure of latitude there. But yeah, and if it at, blew up, it would be your fault. So that, that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, exactly right. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But, you know, we went through very dispassionately, not not casting any or coming to any pre-conclusions uh, beforehand. Well, what, and, did, what, did, what did they give you if you were to say 30,000 feet? What kind of feedback did you get from people who can look at it systematically and more uh, from a strategic perspective? What was some of the feedback you were getting at that level? Well, at that level, you're going to get the, the, obviously the baseline I talked about is what are some of the baseline things from a highly progressive, highly successful IT shop? We got that right off the bat. Then you started looking at some of the aspirational things that we would like to do. For example, how do we move some of our systems from um, a, a server base to a virtual environment, things of that nature? How are we moving from that and whether or not we want to delve into software as a service? How do you tie all these things together? And then to answer the fundamental question, do you have what it takes to get it done? Yeah. And you're going to have to have that type of honesty to say to yourself, do I have A, the capabilities on hand, and 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 C, I guess like A, B, A, B, that whether or not I have the people in place to get that done? Yeah, so, so I got a question for you. How yeah. different would this be? Because if, if I fast forward to talk about your role with Keith, Keith is in your shop, right? So yeah. Keith works yeah. in your group. Right. Some CIOs are actually at the level of working at the leadership team, and they report to the president just like you. Would this have been different in terms of how you navigated this if uh, your CIO wasn't within your organization? How do you think this would have been different? Because some of our listeners out there are working with peers who own and have their own leadership structure, and they don't have the ability to in some ways do what you do, what you can do, is sit down with Keith and say, here's what I'd like us to do, and Keith's in your shop, and he's going to sit down and be your partner in this. By default, he's in your group. Is it any different if Keith was not in your group? I don't think so. Um, Would you have approached it differently? I wouldn't. At the end of the day, I am a people person. Yeah. So in order, what I have learned over the course of my career is that relationships are key. Relationships horizontally, relationships vertically, be it managing up or managing down, relationships are key. So even if I was coming in and wasn't reporting to me, my first question to my peer who was doing it, be it at a VP level or an AVP level, is to sit and have a conversation. Because for what I do as a chief business officer, I deal with technology and data drives my operation. So maybe I take them out to breakfast, lunch, 
for a cheeseburger, hamburger, whatever, right. and say, hey, let's let's start this relationship. We got to start this thing right, and just get a sense of what are the the concerns and issues that they have, especially being the new chief business officer, everyone thinking that, you know, you have control over the purse strings, is to also look at it at a two-way street. And we are all part we are all part of the same team that's trying to get to the same goals and missions. So that's how I would have approached it. But yeah. it still does not change the underlying need for you to do the assessment and face reality. As I tell people all the time, you can't fix what you won't face. Yeah. So if facing it is going to be having to have difficult conversations with colleagues and peers, I often try to do that in the nicest way possible. Well, it's, it's really about beginning to have a collaborative dialogue around priorities. But before you do that, you have to understand what each of you are thinking and educate the other side because you need Keith's input. You need your CIO to give you input, and, and your CIO needs the financial uh, support and understanding of, well, what are we working with here? And right. this is just as important, maybe impo more important than that relationship between the chief business officer and the academic officer, because this is a conversation that I think we underplay and we sort of you know, delegate to the information person and they'll figure it out. And then they got to figure out how to pitch to us their priorities and their financial needs. And it almost turns into this, uh, it's not collaborative. It's more focused on, we're going to cooperate with each other. And I think there's an opportunity to, to, for, for which you're demonstrating. That's why I like your message so much when I heard you first. And Pete, you can hear the difference, right? Yeah. In the way that, uh, Gerald approaches this. It's it's relationship first, and then the that becomes a foundation for working together. Well, and I got to speak as a as a faculty member who has had technology projects inflicted upon him because this is that's the danger of of having an unclear relationship is that technology implementation becomes either one hundred percent technology focused without any input from sort of finance yeah. or academics or 100% financially focused we made this acquisition or this purchase or this implementation because it met the dollar value and and no intention or heart for how we're going to actually serve the mission of the institution we don't but, often yeah. associate technology with serving the mission of the institution or well, we certainly you know, don't do you know, enough the language that I've been using for years is the difference between these are not technology projects. These are pe people projects mm -hmm. fundamentally, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I would imagine, Gerald, that we're still – there's still a challenge to not get sucked into the bells and whistles and features and not get sucked into the financial conversation but to really say how is this going to serve the teaching and learning and research for the institution because that can get buried in IT conversations. Oh, absolutely. And to show you the caliber of the individual I'm fortunate enough to have brought in and Mr. McIntosh, one of the first things he did in his listing tour was to figure out we need a liaison to the academy. So out of that, we're coming up with now a position for the first time we've had it. This person is going to be working in an environment where we're listening to the faculty and also it's a two-way street trying to figure out what do we really need to get things moving? Um, what's going on with the learning management system? Can it be done in a different way? We're also looking heavily towards data analytics to try to figure out ways in which we can use data. You know, people will talk about the University of Arizona and Arizona State and all the things that they're doing out there with their very, very robust program of analytics. But I would dare say, and you mentioned this just now, Howard, the relationship historically in the past is that 
myself and the chief academic officers, everyone assumes that that's just going to be there. But I would definitely push back a little bit to say the relationship between the CBO and the CIO is going to be probably at that level or maybe even greater. Because mm. for the next five to 10 years down the road, for those of us that are middle-aged, one will say now, we just came up under a different concept. But higher education and information technology right now, the two, you can no longer say they're inextricably linked. They're That's not uh, mutually exclusive. They're inextricably linked. And folks that have not realized that, I'm afraid that they're going to look up four to five years from now and wonder, you know, what did I just miss? So you you tackled, in, in the way you wrote about it also in the article, this Wi-Fi as one of the first big projects to dig into that is both strategic and relevant and meaningful to other folks. So you could, you know, you can give your, our listeners a little bit of sense of this, and I think people can then appreciate why that was the right focus. In the end, I think what will be really interesting to hear is what did you learn from this pro, from this experience of tackling that particular item? I assume you picked that because on some level, it, it really resonated with everybody that it had, that it had strategic importance. Oh, absolutely. It, it had mission importance as well because we are an educational institution and we're a campus that's technologically advanced in some ways. But then when you look at the plethora of devices that are coming to campus, not the campus's fault, but the campus still has to address it. So when once the Wi-Fi started impacting learning outcomes in the classrooms, things dropping, things like that, we definitely had to address it. Funny story, even after we have addressed the Wi-Fi situation, to tell you why IT becomes so strategic, we're having to go back and look at some of our network capabilities again to make sure, once again, getting back to the basics, you address one need right there that's strategic and urgent, but you have to figure out IT in a holistic measure. So what we learned from that experience was simply this, is that you have to get the right people in the room to make the right decisions. Mm. You need the data, not anecdotes, not stories, not things of this is how we did it in the past. We definitely need the data. For example, for the wireless, we discovered that we did not have enough access points. When we first went wireless, uh, we just did probably to get the coverage. Well, with technology shifting, pedagogy shifting, all kinds of things moving, you have to stay up with the times. And if you don't have the right people in the room, and not only just being in the room, but being actively engaged, one of the things I told folks when we were having those meetings is all voices have merit. Uh, no idea is a dumb idea. Let's figure out a way how we can get this resolved, not for us as administrators or faculty members, but primarily for the learning outcomes and assisting our students. And what we did was triple, almost quadruple the number of access points that we had. And, you know, we had this great video testimony was done by our students in some of the areas. But then we looked at a challenge that we just had two weeks ago with the network that we have this wonderful wireless capability now, but something else with the network. So it is an iterative process, and you're never, ever going to get it done holistically. But we need to have that continuous improvement in mind to always make sure that we're always stepping forward rather than going through what I call fits and starts. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. Yeah, it's not going to be done overnight. And um, out of that, we've also framed a five-year strategic plan to re re restart our um, information technology efforts here by sentencing the discussion 
in fact and strategy rather than everyone who wants to get something done gets it done. Where would you send people to learn more about it? Do you have any place that you've put a, put together that's public that, that allows people to learn more about what the kind of work you're doing at Ithaca or, or uh, any resources you would encourage people? to? So besides the article, of course, we'll put that in the show notes. Well, I talked about the white paper, yeah. and I've done a couple of articles. The white paper, I think, is one that can help some folks, but it's primarily geared towards CBOs and senior leaders. As a matter of fact, I wrote the white paper for the audience was supposed to be trustees and presidents and senior leaders at HBCUs and, and HSIs, minority-serving institutions. Yeah. But it has morphed into the just the general. So the Southern Education Foundation, their website still has it up. And you can just go to the Southern Education Foundation and search on the name of the white paper. Search on my name or the name of the white paper is Navigating the New Normal. And also, um, if you were to go to SoundCloud and just search on my name, you'll see a series of talks that I have given based on the white paper. I think it's about nine installments to date. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, right. we'll, spoke, we'll definitely throw those in there, too. That. So, excellent. I mean, I'm just trying to add my voice. Um, yeah. One person told me I have a unique voice in that I came out of corporate America and went to a a, a higher education support group uh, uh, organization in the United <laughs> Negro College Fund. And then I entered higher education at Johnson C. Smith at a historically black college. And now I'm at a predominantly white institution. So you can say that um, I have kind of, over time, I'm now officially over on the wild side. <laughs> and I love every minute of it. I love every minute of it because at the end of the day, seeing those kids get across that stage with that degree, that's what yeah. gets me up every so it's morning. All about. That's, that's, what that's what it's awesome. all about. That's this, what it's all about. This has been an awesome conversation, uh, Gerald. Thank you so much for your time and attention today uh, uh, to, to hang out with us and, and share your insights. This has been Absolutely. just great. Now get back to work. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, I'm I don't know if you know this. Just... You're not. You're not. You wasted this. You're not. You're going to be out what? Ten o'clock tonight. I know. Yeah, I'm going to be here. Well, I was already going to be here late tonight, but after Pete gave me that instruction, I had to go back and that's, check to you see. Got, that's right. You that's got right. Work. That's right. I got some work to do. <laughs> Gentlemen, it was my pleasure, and hopefully, we'll get to do this again in the future. Outstanding. Thank you so much, right. Gerald Hector, for for uh, joining us on the show today. On behalf of Howard Teibel and Gerald Hector, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on Navigating change the education podcast from Tybal Inc.